Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to our service here this morning. If you're joining us online, or if you're here with us, it's good to meet together. Uh, just a couple of things to mention at the beginning. Um, in two weeks' time, on the 5th of June, we're hoping to have a uh, Jubilee service, and uh, it's at the normal time of quarter past 11. Um, we're really keen for you to sign up if you would like to join us for the Bring Your Picnic afterwards, um, just so we can get an idea of who's coming. And also, if you could sign up to bring a pudding with you as well, that would be, that would be really good. So we're looking forward to that Sunday. Uh, we also have coming up planned for the 10th of June for the men, the men's barbecue. Um, there are some of these invites uh, around this evening, um, but also on social media. And you've probably seen the slides up. So do be thinking uh, who you could invite to that. And also, we're wanting to run the HOPE course throughout June. Um, Another slide up for that as well, so just be, bear that in mind, be praying about it, thinking about that as well. Thank you. Well, it is so good to meet together today, um, but where is your heart this morning? Has your heart come with you this morning, uh, or is it far away? Does God have the devotion and worship of our hearts this morning as we meet? That's quite a challenge, isn't it? Because we can come here every Sunday and uh, meet here, say hello to our friends. Uh, but where's our heart? And uh, our, um, our first song that we're going to sing really is sort of thinking about that, focusing us on God's great mercy, how he's rescued us from danger. And, uh, and though our hearts are prone to wander so easily, we just wander away from God. It's asking God to, to grip us, to bind our wandering heart to him, uh, so that our hearts are in tune and that we meet here this morning and give him the praise and the worship. Come, O fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise.
We're going to have our Bible reading now. So do turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 38 to 44. It's page 310 on the church Bibles. And we're carrying on in this series on the life of Elisha. Two Kings chapter four, verse thirty-eight. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, where there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine, and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds. And he came and cut them into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat, but while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Well, Mark will be preaching from that passage for us later. Uh, we're going to sing our next hymn now, and after that, children come up the front. Martin is Martin Hook's going to uh, speak to you. We sing our second hymn. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain.
Good. Well, welcome. It's good to see so many children. That's it. Come and sit down, River. Now, I have a question for you. Okay? And my question is, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? So, we've had some smiles. So, what are you thinking about? What makes you happy? Come on then, Flo, you were smiling there. Oh, the picture. Who's the picture? Do you know who the picture is? It's Mr. Happy, yes. Little Miss Brilliant. I wondered if you'd know who the the lady was. We've got Mr. Happy. Great. What makes you happy? Katie. So, seeing your family. So, being with your family and being with your pets. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that makes you happy, isn't it? And what about especially if you have time by yourself with just your mum or your dad? Does that make you feel special? Make you feel happy? What else makes you happy? Ah, chocolate. I was looking at River with a lolly, thinking, (laughs) yes. So, chocolate and sweets. Jess? Good food? Yeah, that makes you happy, doesn't it? Okay, well, I want you to imagine a story, okay? I want you to imagine that you are one of the disciples with Jesus. Do you think you can do that? So Jesus had his 12 friends, didn't he? So I want you to think that you were with Jesus, you were one of the disciples, and you saw everything that they did. What kind of things did they see? What kind of things did the disciples see? Jesus' miracles. Would that have made you happy to see Jesus' miracles? Yeah, I think it would. What else might have made you happy being with Jesus and being a disciple? River, you got one? No? Oh, fantastic, yeah. Actually just being with Jesus, yeah? Knowing that he's the son of God, which they learned as they, got, as they, they, they went on, their relationship with Jesus. So just being with Jesus, being with him as your friend, that would make me happy too. Now, the disciples in Luke 10, okay, Jesus sent them away. And he sent them away and they went away preaching, okay? And they were able to do special things. They could do things like heal the sick. Would that make you happy if you could heal the sick? If you had special powers to heal the sick? Yeah, and and they they could do other special things as well. And when they come back to Jesus, the Bible says they were full of joy. They were very happy. And what do you think Jesus said to them? What do you think he said? Oh, it's a good thing, okay, that you could do these things, that you could help those people out with those special powers in my name. Okay, it's a good thing to be happy to help other people. Do you think he said that? No, he didn't say that. He said, this is what should make you happy, okay? And I've got a Bible verse. This is what should make you happy. Does someone want to read that out? Go on then. Rejoice, which means be happy, that your names are written in heaven. He said, yeah, doing those wonderful things is great to help people, but actually this is the thing that you should be most happy about, that your names are written in heaven. Now, none of us really are disciples, are we? None of us have special powers um, like they had that Jesus gave to them. But we can all be as happy as Jesus wanted them to be. 
Because we can be happy if our names are written in heaven. Now, how many of you have a school register at school? Okay. And that register, are you happy you're on that register? No, no, no. Uh, you want to take your name taken off it, do you? No, yeah, but you can pretend not that. Oh, you've t- okay, yeah. But the only names that are on that register are the people in your class. Yeah? So, Annie, is, is, is um, um, Ro- uh, Ruby's name written on your register? No. No? Okay. So, have you got anyone, um, Florence, on your register that isn't in your class? No? So it's only the names of the people in your class are on that register. And that's the same about the names in heaven. It's only the names of the people who are going to heaven are on that list. Now, that, that brings some questions, surely, doesn't it? You know, Would that make you happy if your name was on that particular list? If your name was written in heaven and you're going to be in heaven, would that make you happy? I'd be very surprised if anyone said no. And I think if you asked anyone in the world... Okay, would you be happy if your name was written in the register on heaven? I think most people say, yes, I want to go to heaven. But that also brings other questions. Okay, do you want your name written on that register in heaven? I think most people say yes, they do. And then we get to the third question. How do I know if my name's written on that list? How do I know? Because I want my name to be written in heaven, because I know that the only people in heaven are those whose names are written there. Okay? So how do I know that my name's written in heaven? Does anyone want to have a go at what that might be? By becoming a Christian. By becoming a Christian, yeah. By having Jesus as our friend. By coming to him and asking for forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. Trusting, okay, that his death on the cross has taken away our sin, so that we can go to heaven. And that will make us very happy. So, when you're thinking about things that make you happy, and food makes me happy, friends make me happy, family make me happy, actually, what should make us the happiest is we know Jesus is our friend, and that our names are written in heaven. Thank you for listening so well. Thank you, Martin. All right, let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, help us as we join together now in prayer. We thank you, Lord God, that we can meet together on the Lord's Day. Thank you that we have this time that we can meet to worship you. We can meet here in peace. And safety, we have the freedom to read the Bible. Uh, We have the great encouragement and blessing of believers being together to build up their faith, to worship you together, to learn together, to live life together. We thank you for this guilt-free day where most of us are relieved of our daily uh, work during the week. We don't need to revise, we don't need to do exams. Lord, we thank you for a day of rest that you, in your kindness, have given to us. Help us to use it well. Lord, we pray that today will be the best day of the week for us in enjoying that rest. 
but especially in having that time to focus on you, to return our thanks to you, to show our gratitude to you, to be drawn near to you, to be challenged by your word, to be built up in our faith, so that as we live our Christian lives out in the world during the week, we'd be good witnesses to you. There will be people who are strong in the Lord, and that progressively in our Christian lives we become stronger against the attacks of sin. They will become stronger where we have been weak. And Lord, we, we confess that, uh, as we've sung earlier and thought already, that so often our hearts do wander. And Lord, there can be times we feel close to you and strong in our Christian walk. And then there can be times that we feel distant when we know that we've sinned and we uh, are doing things or returning to ways that are so unhelpful for us. Lord, I pray you'd forgive us. Pray you'd seek us out uh, as we wander and restore us and draw us back to you. Lord, our, our lives, our Christian lives are one of a story of amazing grace. That you should call us to follow you. That you should have mercy on us is beyond our understanding. It is beyond our words. Because we know that we had nothing to contribute to our salvation. We know that we had nothing good To make us acceptable in the sight of God, we are the same as every other sinner in this world. All that we could bring was our sin and our brokenness. All we could bring was our arrogance and our rebellion against you. And yet in your wonderful mercy and incredible grace, you have not only forgiven us and washed our slate clean, but you have clothed us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so that now in your sight we stand as though we had never sinned, And as though we had always done what was pleasing in your sight. And we dare not say that unless your word told us. And Lord, we we thank you for amazing grace. May we never lose the wonder of your grace in our lives if we are your children. Thank you that not only in this life, but we have hope for eternity. In your heaven, in your new heaven and your new earth, in the new creation. Lord, what a great prospect that is. What a great blessing if our names are written in heaven. And Lord, we pray that that will be a great concern for all of us here. That we might seek you with all of our heart till we find you. Lord, only your grace can save us. Only Jesus' death on the cross and his power over death in rising from the dead can can make this transformation in our lives. And Lord, we pray for our children, our young people. And we ask that... Before too many years have passed in their lives, you will regenerate their hearts. You'll bring them to faith and bring them into your kingdom. Lord, how tragic to live most of our lives for ourselves, to waste our time, to waste our short lives. Lord, we pray that our young people will devote themselves to Christ and live for him. Lord, you fill our cup to full and overflowing in our lives, and we are blessed beyond measure. When we think of those who suffer in so many ways around the world, through war, through famine, through oppression, through persecution, 
Lord, we commit those parts of the world to you and especially Christians who live in those places and are the, take the brunt of suffering. Lord, equip them and strengthen them, we pray. Draw alongside them. And as they ask you how long and come, Lord Jesus, we echo that prayer. Lord, there is so much suffering in this world and we pray that the day of your kingdom will come soon. Lord, we do commit to you um, our time today then and pray that you'd help us, help Mark now as he preaches from your word. Give us, give him understanding and give us understanding too in your truth. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing that hymn together. All the way my Saviour leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? God's help in the past is something which builds up our faith and trust in him as we face the future. Let's stand and sing this together. morning everyone it's good to see you all good to have you online as well well last week we had something a little bit different uh Cy was down here uh, but this week we're uh, carrying on with our series of Elisha we've been looking at the life of Elisha in the mornings 
We're going to carry that on. Elisha was a prophet who lived in Old Testament times. He lived about 800 BC or thereabouts. And sometimes when we think of prophets, we can sort of imagining them, imagine them proclaiming judgment uh, pretty harshly uh, to the people around them. Uh, but through Elisha, we see really clearly the compassion and the mercy of God. Already in 2 Kings chapter 4, even just in this chapter, we've seen a widow rescued from debt as God has given her unlimited refills on oil, uh, filling pretty much every single container she can find. Uh, we've also seen uh, that she's helped a woman in Shunem who uh, didn't have a child, would love a child, but couldn't have one. And through the power of God, she was able to have a child. And then that child sadly died, and yet God gave uh, the child life again. And we've seen already that death and debt are no problem for God. The name Elisha means God saves. God saves. And already we've seen God saving people through him. And we've seen over the last few weeks as well, already, uh, that Elisha points us forward to another man sent by God about 800 or so years later whose name means Saviour. And uh, in his life we see amazing compassion and mercy in, in some ways remarkably similar ways but in even more majestic ways. And we're going to see that again this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to look at two stories in 2 Kings chapter 4 about the life of Elisha. And uh, both of these uh, miracles involve food. And uh, we're going to see how they point us to Jesus as well. Well, In verse 38 of 2 Kings 4, we see that there is a famine in the land. Now many of us, I think it's fair to say, don't really have any concept of what a famine is like and just how deadly it can be. Obviously during lockdown... Some of us struggled to get our flour and our eggs, but that was about the extent of it. Um, That was about as close to starvation as many of us have come. If you were here last week uh, for the children's talk, you remember John Fuller um, talking about questions and asking, when's dinner going to be? And uh, it was funny because a lot of us relate to that, don't we? We have that feeling, what's for dinner? When's it going to be? And... uh, And that's a question a lot of us ask, isn't it? If we're not cooking it, what's for dinner? But how many of you have had to ask the question, is there anything for dinner? Is there any food at all? Maybe some of you have asked that. And if you're in that situation right now, do please come and speak to us and we'd love to support you. But I suspect that the majority of us probably never had to ask that question. A famine is a very alien concept to us. I uh, signed a document this week for a friend who's uh, just got an allotment for hire. And uh, it's an exciting project, planning to do some vegetables and different bits and pieces. But if they were relying on that for their food, if that was all they had, well, the weather forecast would be considerably more stressful, wouldn't it? We have so much, we just... We don't really understand starvation, many of us. Starvation in this situation where Elisha is was a real possibility. And I think that the sort of link between food and life and death was very vivid for them in a way that many of us don't really appreciate. Well, if you know the context of the story, 
Um, you'll know that there were some people who were remaining faithful to God. They were following God. But the majority of people weren't. They were worshipping other idols. Uh, a lot of them were chasing Baal as their God. And God had warned them back in Deuteronomy that if they followed him, if they worshipped him, then uh, he would bless them with rain. But if they rejected him, if they worshipped other gods, then God said, I will shut up the heavens and I will stop the rain. And that's what's happened here. God has stopped the rain. So let's pick up story number one. And we see Elisha dealing with poison. And this is verses 38 to 41. And Elisha came again to Gilgal where there was famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. We don't know much about the group he's with, the sons of the prophets. Uh, But Elisha's been involved in sort of guiding them, directing them, teaching them about God, encouraging them. And now he wants to feed them. So he says to his servant, can you, you know, get some food ready, get a stew on the go. Well, there's not a huge amount of food. uh, So one of the guys there goes out into the, says he goes out into the fields. It's kind of this idea of going out into the wild. Back then they didn't have nice fields like we do. Um, So he went out to gather herbs says this, one of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lapful of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. Now recently I was watching uh, an episode of Running Wild with Bear Grylls. Some of you have seen it. It's where he takes a celebrity and they go into the back of beyond of some country and uh, he basically teaches them sort of survival techniques in the middle of nowhere and they often end up eating some pretty grim things. And uh, in this one, he, he got the uh, celebrity to try and find some food. And uh, Bear had a big smile on his face when uh, some worms were brought back. Um, and um, Bear then held up a plant. And he said, what do you reckon about this? Can we eat this? He had just eaten another plant. He said, what about this? And uh, the person he was with looked blank. And Bear simply said, death. And he threw it away. My uncle, um, a few years ago, he uh, bought a book on mushrooms. He was quite excited about the possibility of going into the woods, getting his own mushrooms and cooking them up. And uh, so anyway, I said it was great because, you know, on each page you had this big picture of a mushroom. And, um, but he said the problem is that on every page... <laughs> There were three very small pictures of almost identical looking mushrooms that would almost kill you. (laughs) So we didn't use it much. Too dangerous. Well, the stew's here. The stew's ready, but there's this mystery ingredient in it. No one quite knows what it is. And they pour it out for the men to eat. This is verse 40. But while they were eating the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Imagine how you'd feel if you were the one that had gathered that. Imagine the newspaper headlines the next day, all of God's people wiped out by mystery vine. Not ideal. Well, you'd expect them to tip it away, wouldn't you, this stew? I mean, they're desperate for food. They're really hungry. But if food's going to harm you, can't eat it. But Elisha has a strange instruction. 
He says this. Then, he said, then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. Now, I'm guessing that you probably wouldn't have wanted to be the first person to test this after they've added the flour. But someone tries it and they're okay. The next person tries it and they're okay. This is what it says. The story finishes with this little phrase, and there was no harm in the pot. They could eat. Remember, this was a famine. Food was incredibly scarce. That's why they've had to go and look for these sort of vines and things, because it's so scarce. They couldn't just sort of whip up another meal. Maybe you've done that. If you just cooked a meal quickly and someone's dropped it all over the floor. Or sometimes, uh, you've seen it, haven't you, where you add in too much of an ingredient and it just ruins it and you, you have to whip up something else quickly. They couldn't do this. They didn't have the supplies to do that. This was much needed food that gave them a life. It really was as serious as that. And we see that God will protect his people. This is what they would have been learning as they had this. God will protect us. Might not always look like that. They, they, were, they were suffering in the famine too, just like everyone else. Even though they were following God, they were still suffering the consequences of what was going on with their nation. And we see that, don't we, around the world today where godly people suffer. But God watches over his people. And nothing can harm his people without his say-so. Not even deadly mistakes can thwart God's plans for his people. Well, what is this all pointing towards? Is it teaching us to be careful whose house you go to on a Sunday lunch? Especially if they uh, like picking things from the garden. Well, this vine had looked good. The man who picked it was hungry. So he picked it up. He didn't realise how bad it was. And it led to death. And it reminds me of a proverb. This is Proverbs 14, verse 12. It says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Lots of things seem right to us, don't they? Lots of things seem right to our culture. They seem good, they're celebrated. But God says they're not good for you. They lead to death. And so often we do what we want and we think what we want rather than listening to God who made us, who knows what's best for us. Who knows what's right and good for us. And it took me back to Genesis 3 and the situation in the garden where again someone was picking fruit. This time they were warned. They knew that this fruit was dangerous. But they didn't listen. They ate it. And it led to death, and it led to pain, and it led to trouble. And now, ever since, sin has got its grip on us. This curse. And it's deadly. And what we need is we need an antidote. A bit like the flower. Although the flower was a sort of strange antidote, wasn't it? It wasn't like Elisha kind of was some chemist that knew what he was doing that got this perfectly formulated antidote. This is, this is God using the flower in a miraculous way to, to kind of heal this. And what we need is we need a miraculous antidote to heal the poison of sin that infects us and impacts all of us. And God hasn't given us flower, but he's given us his son. 
when John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, do you remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ came into this poison pot of a world to deal with the the poison that's causing death. And he did it by dealing with sin. Bearing it on the cross. Peter says he bore our sin on the cross so that everyone who believes in him could have life. Jesus didn't use flour. He used his blood. Crimson blood, which would usually stain. And yet, we're told it washes whiter than snow. Another strange antidote. But Jesus defeated sin. He nullified its power. And one day, all who place their trust in him will be able to see God's new creation, where the curse of sin is no more, where it's been completely purified. The Bible warns us very clearly that the consequences of sin, the wages of sin, is death. And if you don't know Jesus as your antidote, then I encourage you to seek him. Seek him as your antidote because he gives life. So, Elisha and Jesus have shown us how they deal with death-bringing poison. But now we're going to go on to the second story and we're going to see how he brings um, life-giving bread. Now, I was meant to ask before I put that up there. If I said the feeding of the, how would you finish the sentence? I imagine 5,000. Some of us might say 4,000. How many of us would have said 100? If you know your Bibles really well, or if you've got a photographic memory, you might remember this story from before. But I imagine that a lot of us here are unaware of this story. It's the sort of story that... We often don't hear about when we hear about the great things of Elijah and Elisha. Um, But it's an amazing story, and I've enjoyed looking at it this week. So, let's have a look at the feeding of the hundred in verses 42 and 44. And you can probably start to be sort of thinking about this already. Verse 42. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Now when I prepare a message like this, one of the first things I do is I print out the text that I'm looking at, and I annotate it with a pen, and I write sort of down things I notice, things that stand out to me. Sometimes I write down questions as well, maybe I don't know the answer to, or things that I just want to check. Um, Questions I want to answer when I then speak. And uh, one of the questions that I had about this was about the first fruits. Uh, the first fruits are um, the sort of first part of the harvest, um, and it was what farmers and people would give to the priests. So they would get the very first uh, produce from the harvest, and they would give it to the priests as a sort of offering to God, really. And this is the question I had, that I wrote down. Did this man from Belshalisha, we don't even know his name, did he really give the first food to God in a famine? And the answer is yes, he did. Now, just before harvest is probably when famine's at its peak. One of the hardest times. 
And yet even in this famine, he gave the first food that he had grown to God. And as a bit of a side note, this might be something important for us to to think about. Times are hard at the moment, aren't they? You hear that a lot. Prices are shooting up. We're being told to watch the pennies. And, uh, and it's good. But it's easy, isn't it, to sort of say in these circumstances that we need to watch our bank accounts. We need to kind of protect our money, look after that. But I want to encourage you this morning to still prioritise giving to God, even in circumstances like this. Of course, it might be a bit less than in the past. You might feel you can only give a little bit, especially you young people and uh, children here. You might think, well, I haven't got much at all. Well, it doesn't need to be much. God understands that. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, the things we really need, not necessarily the things we want. All these things will be added to you. We never lose out when we give to God first. And we see that in this story, which we'll get to in a bit. Well, the first fruits were meant to be given to a priest, as I said. Um, but the priests were either crooked or they were priests of Baal. So this man, he comes to the only man of God that he knows, Elisha, and he brings it to him as kind of God's representative. And he brings 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain. And just to say, when it says loaves, it's not sort of thinking of the big, quite big loaves that we get um, in sort of, you know, supermarkets. It's sort of little rolls, it's probably. So 20 little rolls of bread and fresh ears of grain. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. Now Elisha's servant can't quite hear what he, can't quite believe, sorry, what he's just heard. He sort of glances at the food and then he glances around at the hundred men and then he looks at the food again and glances around at the hundred men again. And he says, how can I set this before a hundred men? It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, I'll be honest, I've never cooked for a hundred men. And uh, for the sake of the hundred men, it's probably good that I never do. But, um, but if I did, if that was a challenge I was given, I would get in substantially more food than 20 small rolls of bread. Because I imagine that if I didn't, I'd have quite a lot of grumpy men looking back at me, still very hungry. So he sort of says, how how can we set this before a hundred hungry men? But Elisha repeats his command. He says, give them to the men that they may eat. And now he gives a reason. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So Elisha's servant obeys, takes the food and he hands it out. We don't know exactly how it works, but it keeps going. And in the end, they're so full that they can't have any more. It's not that they're being polite. You know, it's not that they had a little corner of a roll and they're sort of saying, no, honestly, give it to someone else. They're stuffed. They're full. And they've got leftovers to enjoy for the next day as well. That's what it says, verse 44. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to to the word of the Lord. See, Elisha's servant did what many of us do. He used his eyes and he used his sense of rationale 
to sort of look at the situation and work out what's possible and what's not possible. But Elisha, he wasn't using his eyes, his sense of logic. He was listening to the word of the Lord. See, the word of the Lord is more definite and more trustworthy than the things that we can see and our, our sort of logic. What he says, he will do, even if it doesn't quite make sense to us. And as I've been thinking about this, this is something I need to really grow in. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to just look with our eyes, be very rational, but God can do miracles. And this is good for us, isn't it, that he will do what he says, because it means that we can hold on to his promises, however unlikely it might seem that they'll be that he'll fulfil them. And we can hold on to them tight, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, for many years, um, when I was growing up, there was a lady that lived uh, along the road. Uh, some of you will know her. She was called Grace Johnson. And uh, I didn't know her massively well, but um, one story that she used to tell was when her, um, she was with her mum, and her mum told her to sit down to the dinner table. And uh, there was no food. And so Grace was a bit confused. Uh, but her mum said, we're going to pray anyway and give thanks for the food. So they gave thanks. And very shortly after, there was a knock at the door. And the next door neighbour said, I've cooked a bit too much soup. Would you like some? If you've ever read the life of George Muller, there's some incredible stories of how God provides food for him and many, many children in, in wonderful ways. If you haven't read about him, George Muller, recommend it. And it is good to pray for our food, isn't it? Jesus says, uh, to pray, give us our daily bread. We do need to pray for food and, and trust it to come from God. But I don't think that's the main point of this miracle. The miracle is meant to point us forward to someone else who multiplied bread. You know, when we read about the feeding of the hundred, we should be sitting there amazed. We should be sitting there thinking, wow, God did that. That's incredible. But I suspect that many of us are sitting there almost feeling a bit underwhelmed. A bit like that's a bit pathetic. Because Jesus fed 50 times that number with less food. And he had more left over at the end. And that's not counting the men and women who were there as well. So our reaction should be Jesus is so much greater than Elisha. Elisha was almost like a, a, a sort of warm-up act, preparing for the main event that we get to when we get to Jesus. Jesus isn't just another prophet. He's a son of God. He is far greater. And Jesus himself explains this miracle a bit later, the feeding of the 5,000, many of you will know it. He explains a little bit later what he's doing, what's on his mind. And he says... He says to these people around him, he says, look, as nice as bread is, and it's good, it fills you up, but it won't fill you up forever. It perishes. You'll be hungry soon. You need to search for something that will properly satisfy you. This is what he says in John 6. Jesus says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, maybe Jesus doesn't look that much to us. A bit like the, the rolls at the beginning of the feeding of the 5,000. Doesn't look like much. Maybe we just sort of think he's a sort of moral teacher, good man from history. You know, people at the time who lived with Jesus thought a, a pretty similar thing. We know his parents, they said. He's just a carpenter. He's no one special. And yet, millions of people throughout history and around the world have come to Jesus and believed in him and they have been completely satisfied. And many of you here know what it's like to know the joy of Jesus and to know how satisfying he is. We're not always best at showing that joy sometimes. But he gives life. He satisfies. And I think many can testify that he gives more than life. More than just joy. We overflow. But maybe, maybe you struggle to believe that Jesus is enough for you. Maybe you, you sort of look at the world around you and it's so shiny, isn't it, often? Sort of gleams and so attractive so fun but Solomon discovered as have many other people that if you chase those things they can give fun for a while but it doesn't satisfy Jesus says you'll be hungry again it will never truly satisfy you we're slow to learn that aren't we Jesus says come to me I will satisfy you. I will be everything to you that you need and more. Jesus says this, slightly different context, but he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Just want to say, if you, if you don't know Jesus, if you want to be satisfied, you want to be content, you want to be happy, lots of people are searching for it, maybe you are. Look to Jesus. He's the one that can satisfy eternally. He won't leave you hungry. And just to finish, really, just for Christians, just a short encouragement um, from Paul in Ephesians 3. Maybe some of you are starting to think about different verses already. Obviously, I couldn't put everything in. But it's talking about Christ dwelling in our hearts. And this is particularly an encouragement for those of you who serve, those of you who teach, those of you who work in different ways. I know some of you have said to me in the past, and I feel it very much as well, you feel your weakness, your inadequacy. We can't bring much to him. But look what he can do with Christ dwelling in us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. This is the God who gives abundantly so much more than we need. David says, doesn't he, my cup overflows. I just want to finish with a, a quote uh, from a, a commentator um, talking about Elisha. It says this, 
The Elisha narratives make us love this heroic prophet. But these chapters should make us love Jesus even more. Our truth-speaking, bread-providing, compassion-showing, sickness-healing, death-defeating Saviour. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the account of Elisha. Lord, it's an amazing couple of stories and we praise you for it. Lord, we thank you that you are the same God yesterday and today and forever. But Lord, we thank you that Elisha is not the end of the story. Lord, we thank you that we can jump forward in history to Jesus and we see the Son of God at work as he deals with the poison of sin and then as he gives us abundant life. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and I pray, Lord, that if we do not know him this morning, Lord, reveal yourself to us, I pray, each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to sing and we're going to reflect on some of these themes. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie in pastures green.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to sing together to you. Lord, what a privilege it is. And Lord, I thank you even more for your endless mercy. And Lord, I pray that we would trust in you. Lord, you are good. We've seen that this morning. Lord, I pray that as we go away from this place, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be filled with you, each one of us. Lord, keep us safe through today, I pray. Those of us who are planning to come this evening, Lord, I pray that you bring us safely here. And I pray that you be with those uh, who can't be here or have other plans. Lord, do be with each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.